Hello, and welcome to Sounding Out with Izzy, the podcast where we have conversations with musicians, music producers, publicists, live promoters, zine makers, journalists, and more about their experiences working in the music industry as women, non-binary, and queer people. I'm your host, Isabel Corp the founder of the Queer Femme music-based blog and YouTube channel, A Girl's Two Sound Sense. Welcome back, babes! New year, new season! Season 7? Holy shit, we are so fucking back. And I'm so excited to kick this off with a conversation with the immensely talented indie songwriter Blair Howerton, who is best known as the lead singer of Why Bonnie. We'll be exploring the depths of Blair's musical journey, unpacking the brilliance of her debut album 90 in November from 2022, and we'll also be delving into the roots of her sound that trace back to the heart of Texas, her hometown. And without further ado, let's get right into this episode. Excited to have you here, for starters. Thanks for having me. 90 in November is one of my AOTYs. Even though it was released in 2022, it's one of my AOTYs that I listened to this year. Aw, thank you. I love that. So I wanted to talk a little bit about your roots in Texas and how crucial that was to the concept of the record. Would you like to tell me a little about that? Yeah. I started writing the record when I had just moved to New York. I had left Texas kind of in a hurry, it felt like, and then got to New York. And pretty soon after that, the pandemic happened. And I chose to stay in New York and don't regret it. I love it here, but I had a lot of time to reflect on past and different time and place and there could not be two more different spaces than Texas and New York City. I was in a pretty cramped apartment at the time and New York being New York there's no access to nature, wildlife and things like that, open spaces. So I think I just innately started writing music about that because that's what I was longing for. And it was almost like a, an escape, like a daydream escapism. But while it started off like that, I was also diving into therapy at the same time and really getting into my past trauma and my past relationships and my growth as a person and a newly formed adult. And I think the album itself is really just about growing up. And I was writing it while I was kind of reckoning with my growing. Right. And at the same time, 
you're in your cramped apartment in 2020 when from what I remember, a lot of people ended up leaving. So on top of like the culture shock of sort of being in a new place, I bet the sort of isolation and sudden shock of everybody fleeing must have sort of almost like doubled that. I'm curious if you didn't have songwriting sort of helping you navigate that period, what do you think you would have been doing to cope with it otherwise? Oof. I mean, I, my other outlets were cooking. I cooked a lot. I would like pick whatever recipe took the longest time and be like, cool, I'm going to do this, make this for the next seven hours, which is great. You know, did a lot of puzzles, which I feel like in everyday life, I'm not like a puzzle person so that was that was a new hobby I took up I don't know if I, I music has always been such a therapeutic thing for me I'm a pretty like reactive and emotional songwriter I don't have much of a practice which I want to but I just don't I I definitely write when the mood strikes and I think that's because I rely on it so much to process my emotions. Right, yeah. Are you more of a notes app person or like a physical analog journal and pen person? I'm both, but I think the notes app is winning right now. Yeah, because it's, it's so accessible, like it's in your pocket yeah. at all times. Yeah, like I said, when the mood strikes. So I try to, when things come to me, write them down as quickly as I can and you know the phone's always there whether we like it or not yeah totally I'm a bass player so whenever uh, I'll literally just be lying in bed one night and my best friend who plays guitar will send me something that she recorded via voice memos and then I'll already be humming something in my head and I'll be like oh shit well I gotta get out of bed and tap that (laughs) voice yeah you gotta do it when the mood strikes otherwise you'll forget it Yeah, exactly. Before it runs away. I know. And you worked with Tommy Reed on this album. What did you learn being like in a room with him? And I was wondering if there were any like parts of his approach that you still find yourself referring to at all. Yeah, it was really fun to work with Tommy. He's a very just fun guy. He likes to set the tone. He wants it to be like easy breezy do whatever you feel doors open like the whole experience of being in his studio which is connected to the house that he lives in with his family so it's very homey feeling uh it's out in Silsby, texas which is like outside of beaumont really small town very very texas like his His next door neighbors, which are, you know, an acre away, have cows. So I just remember tracking the guitar from 90 in November and I could open up the back door from the the booth. When I opened up the back door, there was like a cow standing 
15 feet away from me, just like staring at me. And it was such a vibe. It, it was really special. And Tommy's really fun to work with. I think he has a really good approach of just like, let's try it, whatever we want and throw it. And then we can take stuff back if it doesn't work out. And it all felt really playful, which I liked. And I think that working with him taught me to not be so serious, especially in the studio, because it can be daunting. You know, you're like, you're making this one thing and it's going to be out there forever. So it better be perfect. And it's like, doesn't need to be perfect because nothing is perfect. And sometimes those imperfections are your favorite part. So, yeah, definitely. I feel like, yeah, leaving like the hiccups in there is what makes it beautiful, honestly. Yeah, totally. And also, like you mentioned, like being in that spot in particular in Texas, something I'm very fascinated with is how like location and environment can affect the way something turns out. So do you think it might the record might have sounded different if it hadn't been recorded in that exact town in that spot? You know, maybe I we had a few different options of where we were going to record the album. And, you know, one was in New York, one was in LA. And then we got connected with Tommy pretty last minute. And it just felt very serendipitous that we were going to be recording this album about Texas out in small town, Texas. And I, I just really loved being there. We had so much fun. And I think that added to the music too. I, I agree that you can, you can not so much hear, but you can feel the time and place. And we were looking for a like band in the room, more raw sound. And I think we got it. Definitely like capturing like a certain time and space via sound is I feel like feels very prescient. And you can hear it on a lot of records people consider like classic now, like The Strokes' first record. I always defer back to The Strokes because apparently it's just my way of being now. <laughs> but that first album, like, it's so clear that they recorded it in that basement in the Lower East Side. Like, it sounds like that. Like, you can yeah. feel the vibe just emanating off of it. It just immediately transport you to that, like, time and place. Totally. I agree. I love the, like, the story behind the making of an album really sets the tone for your listening experience. It really does. What are some of like the touchstone records that you really love where the story added so much to the experience of listening to it? Just off the top of your head. I mean, I really like the stories of like, oh, this started as a demo and we like built on top of it or I didn't think any of this was ever going to make it and this was just us like messing around like Liz Fair's first album Exile in Guyville 
a lot of it started as just demos of that she made with like this really shitty amp that she had like a some distorted line six at the time that was like ended up being her quintessential sound and it's like she didn't choose that it was out of necessity i guess or just out of like not having she was kind of new to the music scene and it ended up just really working in her favor and that album pieced itself together through her just being like this sounds shitty and it is made shittily but we like it we're gonna keep it and it ended up being a really really famous record and a really special one to me too i think it influenced a lot of my writing similar with that dijon album absolutely a lot of it is like them like percussion in the room them like putting demos together and scratch takes and things like that so i like that that like collage feel yeah definitely I love that you mentioned Exile and Guyville too, because in a way, like, it's so ironic the way that that album has been held over her head like a sort of of Damocles, like, yeah, totally. mostly by men. And she wrote that entire album about how sick she was of men <laughs> I know. belittling her all the time. <laughs> I think Rob Harvilla, the journalist, described it as... The stone built by God so heavy that even God himself couldn't lift it. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Way to like put a lot of pressure. I, really, yeah. Yeah, and the funny thing is too, the producer she worked with on that album was a dude and she like hated working with him. <laughs> so, and a lot of it was like back and forth. She was like, he wanted to kind of polish it and clean it up and she had to really fight against him and be like, no, I like the way that this sounds and we're going to keep it. And she was right. And here we are 30 years later. Exactly. I mean, because you strike me as like the type of writer who writes a lot in the autobiographical voice, which... I feel like is almost inevitable. Like even if someone's writing like pure fiction, I feel like there's always going to be some part of like what they know and what they've lived almost rubbing off on it in a way. Totally. And I'm wondering, like, I mean, obviously I'm sure you think about that a lot when you're writing lyrics, but what about when you're writing like instruments, like how a guitar is going to sound? Like, do you feel like how you're feeling or what you're experiencing may inform that at all? Totally. I heard about this really cool study done um, with people that lived in Cameroon and they had never listened to, they lived in like a pretty isolated part of Cameroon, had never listened to Western music before and were shown some Western like very, I think it was just like radio pop or something, I don't know. And they were asked like, how does this song make you feel and it was without lyrics just instrumental and they could still like they knew they said like oh this these chords are sad they make me feel sad and this makes me feel happy because it's a more upbeat and i think it's just so innate for humans to feel music that way 
and write music that way. I, I think when you do the opposite, if you're going to write a sad, like the lyrics are sad, and then you write happy tunes behind it, that's intentional. And if you're really writing from like an emotional background, then it's going to reflect that. And that goes for all kinds of art. The writer's emotions and lived experiences are in some way going to influence that, which I think is really beautiful. I don't, I definitely don't shy away from it. I, I like to do what feels natural because one, that's just how I, how I do it, but it feels like best for me to write with emotion. Like when you see like fan edits online of like that me that really meme like Midwest emo riffs over like Mr. Krabs apologizing to Plankton or like Charlie work from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but it's like a Midwest emo intro when this like little twinkly guitar is put over it and it ends up sounding like a Midwest emo phone call or whatever. It's it transforms it in that way and it does hit you in the feels. Yeah. We can't help it. Exactly. And I also wanted to ask you about what the inspiration was behind Lot's Wife, because that's one of my favorite songs on the album. Yeah, Lot's Wife was actually the first song I wrote. And funny enough, the only one that was written back in Texas. I wrote it about an ex-love and kind of the breakdown of a breakup and how you have to move past it those moments that you're like oh but it it wasn't all bad and then you look back and you're like those were the good times and being in that moment where it's like that still that still really hurts like i'm not healed enough to look back yet and the first metaphor that came to mind was this story from the bible from the old testament so it's also in the torah about Lot and his family fleeing Gomorrah, no, Sodom, I believe, one of Sodom and Gomorrah, I think one of those towns, where everything is like up in flames. And one of the angels told Lot's wife, you can't look back as you're fleeing the town or else you'll be turned into a pillar of salt. And she does, and she turns into a pillar of salt and then blows away. And I mean, just like the imagery of that is really beautiful. And I thought it was a really great metaphor for how it feels when you're you're not ready to look back and you do and it still hurts really badly. So I, I kind of use that as a jumping off point and tied in a lot of different like biblical and Old Testament like metaphors and allegories too to build the build the lyrics off of yeah feels like almost like almost that's almost a premonition for how someone might end up if they rely too much on nostalgia in a way yeah i love that too since you're now based in brooklyn is that where in new york yeah, I technically live in Queens because I live in Ridgewood, but it's like, it's pretty much Brooklyn. Yeah, I like Ridgewood a lot. 
Where are you based? I'm based in Chelsea right now, so in oh, Manhattan. Cool. But I, I live right next to the L, which is such a blessing. Bless. Um, yes, so I can just hop on whenever, go to shows. Yeah, It's a vibe. It's nice. Fun. But what are some of your favorite local haunts or local venues that have a really special place in your heart right now? First one that comes to mind is Sundown. It's in Ridgewood. And, you know, it's just one of those places where you'll end the night there and we'll always see at least one friend that we know. If not, like, there have been multiple times where we'll just go for a drink and then it ends up like all of our friends show up without having told anyone that we're there. Feels very Cheers-esque, which I like. They have shows there too, which are friend books and have all been really great. My friend sometimes does movie showings there. Those are really fun and our friend Izzy, who we just went on tour with, she was playing guitar for us. She bartends there too. So just uh, one big, happy, drunk family. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Sundown's really cool. And Natalie is really dope too. Love Natalie. Shouts out. And I'm also curious about who some of your favorite local bands are who like maybe you still want to play a show with these people and haven't gotten to yet, or you consider it like a major tick off your bucket list to have played a show with them? I really love You Bet. And Izzy plays guitar with them too. So, so we're getting closer, fingers crossed. <laughs> but no, I just love, I love their music. And they've they've been like a fixture i feel of new york and brooklyn indie rock scene for a while so would be awesome to play with them um yeah trying to think of others but that's the first one that comes to mind they're so good yeah they they only have one album out which is great but i know that they're gearing up to release their second and my boyfriend played with them recently at Purgatory. He has a band called Pear. And they played a lot of their new music, and it was awesome. That's awesome. Speaking of Purgatory, you just played a, a holiday gig there. How was that? Yeah, we did. It was so fun. It was, you know, like half silly, half serious. We... We had reindeer games where I like brought some inflatable antlers with a ring toss game. That was really fun. Josh and Izzy lit the menorah and let everyone in the Hanukkah prayer. Um, that felt really special. It it was just a really like good homey feeling night. I really love Purgatory. It's a very solid like it's not DIY, but it still has like remnants of the DIY feel. So I love that. Yeah, definitely. It's it is a special place, that's for sure. Yeah. And 
the last tour that you went on, what were some like big major highlights? Totally. Well, as a band, we really love this podcast called Otherworld. It's a it's like a paranormal podcast. They have people who have had like real ghost stories or just weird things happen to them and they're interviewed. It's hit or miss, but the hits hit really hard and we've been listening we've heard every episode we listen to it in the van we and when we're not on tour we all listen to it separately and then text each other afterwards so anyway we were in pittsburgh and i randomly decided to shout out other world on stage just part of my banter i had like no idea what to talk about and this woman from the audience goes, that's my brother's podcast. And it was just so crazy. And so we all just like looked at each other on stage, jaws hit the floor. And we talked to her afterwards, exchanged contacts, and she connected us with Jack Wagner from Otherworld. And he sent us some merch, which was great. That's really cool. Did you find out if he's a fan at all or if he listened to the record? No, I didn't press him. I was like, I was feeling very starstruck on Instagram even. But yeah, I hope someday. I have some stories, Jack, if you're listening to this. Hit me up. <laughs> I want to get on there. Yeah. I totally get that. It's just like these types of people, like whether they be podcasters or just like internet personalities or just journalists, like they're celebrities to me. Like Jessica Hopper is a celebrity to me. Funny story regarding her, because I worshipped her for a long time when I was just getting into music. I still worship her today, but I got a notification on my phone that said like, at Jess Hop started following you and my jaw dropped for two seconds and then I logged in. I tapped the notification and realized that it was a client who I'm ghost tweeting for who she started following and not me. And then my heart just dropped. No. <laughs> but so close. So close. So close. I got the secondhand follow at least. <laughs> totally. But are you a big paranormal and or like true crime person? since yeah. you like yeah <laughs> big time i'm really into like cult documentaries too anything to do with cults is fascinating love a good ghost story love sci-fi love alien stuff i love it nice i'm also into murder stuff as far as true crime goes if it's a really crazy story then yeah but I'm not just like watching Dateline, you know, no shade to anyone that does. It's just not, not my thing. Yeah, probably better for it too. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to shame anyone who enjoys tuning into Dateline, but it feels icky. I don't like, I don't like that feeling. It feels exploitative and it makes me feel totally. like I'm participating in it. And yeah, I'm like, God, if I were brutally murdered and it got dumbed down to a dateline episode i'd be fucking pissed <laughs> yeah this isn't exactly like cult related but like it's cult adjacent because i mean the band was named after 
like a cult murder story, but like, are you familiar with the Brian Jonestown massacre, the band? Yeah. So I recently, last night, my mom and I, we had just finished watching the Tegan and Sarah based drama high school. Have you seen that? No. It's really great. It was like, I think the show was directed by Clea Duvall. Oh, cool. Yeah. Love her. Yes. I'm obsessed with her, but we just finished watching this fictional, like dramatized version of the Tegan and Sarah story. And then we were like, let's watch more Tegan and Sarah related stuff. Let's watch the Tegan and Sarah documentary. And then we found out that you have to like start a free trial on some other like extension of Amazon Prime in order to watch it. And we were like, okay, we're not going to do that. So then I found the documentary Dig from 2004, which was basically about the rise of the Dandy Warhols and the Brian Jonestown massacre. I've heard of this. And the feud between the two lead singers. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. I heard it's a really good rock doc music dog yeah it is for sure it's like and you can tell it was from 2004 too because it was so cheaply edited like the graphics were terrible (laughs) yeah it's like a clip art image of like a monkey playing guitar or something it was like helvetica style font like (laughs) yeah title cards and stuff like that it it looked like it was made on iMovie (laughs) (laughs) probably was like Yeah, on like the iMac machines with the very first editing software. But regardless, like graphics aside, it it was a great documentary. But my mom and I were then driving today and I decided to put on the Brian Jonestown Massacre because it was on my mind. And my mom was listening to the song and then just looked at me and she was like, man, this guy's really not right in the head. He's not. He's definitely not. The documentary basically like delved pretty deep into how like even that early, like way back, like 30 years ago, he drove everyone in his band away because he was such a psycho. (laughs) Yeah, he's notorious for being not fun to work with. But I mean, he's still touring and has his own label. So I mean, good for him. Yeah, it's crazy that he can get away with as a white man. It really is. (laughs) Yeah, I saw like I was at White Eagle Hall one time and I was looking at like the lineup of like upcoming talent that they had. I was there to see Kim Gordon that night, but I saw that the Brian Jonestown Massacre and Mercury Rev was coming there and I was like tempted like this might be a train wreck, but should I go and just be a witness like way back here? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's a great show. I have, a, I mean, some of my closest friends really stand by that music and, you know, I get it. It's not my cup of tea, but it's definitely a seminal like psych rock, you know, pioneer. Yeah. What's a big, like, seminal post-pandemic live experience that you've had? I saw Palm's last show in New York at Baby's All Right. I guess it was their second to last show ever, so they say. (laughs) But it was so fucking good. Like, they 
are one of the best, I think maybe my favorite live band I've ever seen. It's just straight up magic what they do and how they play off one another. Their their recordings are great, but their live show is just an, a different experience. So I was really happy that I got to catch them before they left. And the show was really emotional. Like they were getting emotional on stage, which I can assume they don't do very often, just based on what I know about them as people or them as a band. But yeah, the the crowd was freaking out too, but it was it was really great. That was probably one of the best live shows I've seen in a while. I haven't been to like, I don't think I've ever been to like a big arena show other than at the Houston Rodeo when I was in high school, <laughs> like as a kid. But I was gonna, I was supposed to go to Death Cab and Postal Service at Madison Square Garden and I got COVID for the fourth time. So I didn't go. But yeah, that's Palm is the one that's standing out to me right now. Yeah. I love Babies All Right too. Yeah. Babies is another like haunt. It was my first job in New York, working door at Babies and night managing sometimes. It was a really great show. I love babies. Like it's also one of those places that you'll go and I know all the bartenders and people that work there. So it's just kind of like good to be home, you know, feeling. Yeah. I saw a secret show that Jeff Rosenstock did there earlier this year. And that was absolute insanity. Like I wouldn't have known, but my, my best friend is like a diehard fan who knows like all the Jeff Rosenstock lore and apparently the name of the show that was advertised was like the name of a very like deep 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 cut album and a name it was supposed to be before he changed the name <laughs> what is a song that you wish you had written that's my final question oh Maybe Cruel Summer by Taylor Swift. Have you ever heard of it? No. What's that? <laughs> yeah. I can't help it. I can't help it. There's a good song. No, that's, I mean, that's just like pure pop crack. Love it. But if I'm being honest, oh, it's got to be a Big Thief song. The only place, second to last song on the album. And that song hit me in my absolute core recently. I was listening to it and it's just a really beautiful love song. Her lyrics, their lyrics are insane. I love Big Thief. I really love their music. Great choice. I mean, Cruel Summer is also a great choice, too. I mean, St. Vincent has a writing credit on it, so. Oh, she does. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. 
so good. I actually listened to it yesterday because I was trying to pull like cool Spotify canvas examples for work. And it's basically just like her in her glittery outfit, just strutting and nice. like hair flipping. That's the video. <laughs> that's that's the Spotify canvas. I love it. <laughs> yeah, she's she's so cringe that it's cool, you know? Exactly. But Blair, thank you so much for agreeing to hop on and chat about Bible stories and uh, <laughs> pop crack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you, Izzy. I, I really appreciate you asking me to be on this and I had a really great time talking with you. Hope I shed some light on questions. And if not, then the Old Testament, you know? Thank you so much for listening to Sounding Out with Izzy, and thank you again to Y Bonnie for joining me. Remember to subscribe and sign up for the mailing list on my YouTube channel and written blog, both under the name A Girl's Two Sound Sense. Give the podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you in the next episode of Sounding Out with Izzy. Thank you.